Hello, this is the Saucer Afterlife listener feedback module. I'm not sure module is the best word to uh, to describe it, but this is the listener feedback segment for our episode on Morris K. Jessup, the beginning of our exploration into the vast mystery of the Philadelphia experiment. We've got quite a bit, so let's go ahead and get started with it. Uh, on Twitter, Black Wolf says that the Free Coffin movie was The Screaming Skull. Yes, I'm sure there was more than one, but I am thinking of The Screaming Skull because I watched it on Mystery Science Theater back in the day and um, possibly last week also. And uh, yeah, it was had the little little preview thing where, you know, Free Coffin, if you die during the screening of The Screaming Skull, it's... Um, it's it's not a good movie. It's not bad, but it's not good. Over on the Chizo Media Patreon at patreon.com slash Media, Scott says, I think the only way to make sense of the Vero document is to read all the colored ink in the voice of Kang and Kodos from The Simpsons or the alien from the Atomic Submarine if you want to be less anachronistic. Oh, somebody needs to do that. I am, I am not going to do that. Also on, um, on the Patreon, there were uh, a couple questions and comments pointing out that I did not actually define what the LMs and SMs were. Um, these are the two sort of alien beings, races, cultures that are at war on Earth. I That Vero edition was so difficult to try to, um, try to, try to extrapolate, that's not the right word, explicate, explain. Yeah, that was one of the things that completely got lost. So yes, everybody who asked, LMs and SMs, were, were the two uh, the two supposedly non-human races. Over on the Saucer Life website, uh, Red Pill Junkie says, possibly the best episode of the year so far. Thank you. It showed me how erroneous my preconceptions of Jessup, who I always assumed of as a scientist partially interested in UFOs, were. The parallels between him and James McDonald are, in my opinion, hard to escape. Both brilliant but troubled men who probably never found a way to handle their obsession with UFOs in a healthy way and whose untimely demise has triggered myriads of senseless conspiracies. Um, there's another question. I'll address this one first. Um, I think those are some parallels between him and uh, between him and McDonald. Um, I wonder the degree to which Jessup's sort of um, issues were also triggered, not so much not just by an obsession with UFOs or the psychic stuff that he was getting into towards the um, the last couple of years before his before his suicide, but also just he wrote. Four, he published four UFO books in the space of three years or so, and the money just wasn't there. There's some letters back and forth between him and Gray Barker. If you go over to uh, David Halpern's website, he's got a lot of that stuff uh, that he's gone through and talked about, and and you know financial troubles, personal family troubles as as well. Um, yeah, I, I think those parallels are are definitely something that uh, that would be noticed. Um, and uh, then um, RPJ also says, I also know how much you admire Barker, so I can only imagine how difficult it was for you to appraise the sleazy way in which he exploited Jessup's death for financial gain. I um, My admiration of Barker is a difficult thing for me to sort of comes to terms with. You, you, can, you can admire what people have done, but not admired not admire every aspect and um for as much as i appreciate what he 
sort of contributed to the overall mythos and, and the culture through the, the men in black. And I think his, um, his look at the, uh, the Flatwoods monsters is one of my favorite things ever. Uh, and, and some other things like that. I, I think that's a valuable thing he's done. I think the publishing was a valuable contribution, but I am, I've never been under any illusions that, that Barker was as much of a shameless grifter as any of the rest of them. Although, um, exploiting Jessup's death for financial gain, you know, Jessup wanted, you know, Long John Neville to, you know, bring him back on the air from the afterlife as a stunt too. So, um, Jessup, again, go to, um, go to Halper Insight. There's, he's got some great write-ups of some of this correspondence and, and, and Jessup was, was not above, you know, like, Hey, can, if you want me to, I can make this sound ominous in your newsletter, Barker and Barker's like, yeah, ominous is what we do here at Sussarian Press. So, you know, he, yeah, there's, yeah, Gray Barker, you know, all of these people just, just you know, carny grifters. And you know, that's part of the reason why, uh, why I love them. Um, also at the website, uh, Kenny says, so is Mr. Jessup the first in print to link UFOs to ancient super science long before convicted con man, Eric Von Daniken popularized it. His interests in ancient South American civilizations, astronomy, and UFOs must have predisposed him to come up with this theory. Um, if not, not the first, but one of the first, I think George Hunt Williamson probably, um, probably beat him to it by a couple years, um, at most really, um, trying to think, oh, Desmond Leslie in, in that first book he wrote with Adamski where Adamski's, you know, original Orthon contact was at the end, um, Desmond Leslie sort of talked about ancient mysteries and things like that. Now, super science, that's a little more, um, a, a little more, more narrow category. I think Jessup is, is right in the vanguard of that. And I think we sometimes forget that there was a, a point at which this was a, a new thing that, that all of this was a new thing. A final website comment from Sam. Uh, this was a sad episode to listen to. I admit I had to listen twice to fully grasp everything that was happening. Yes, definitely challenging subject matter. I think the saddest part is the impression that Jessup is best remembered because of how he was used by others as a sounding board rather than his own work. Um, as Carl Allen's contact, the sounding board for the Vero editions commentators, a martyr to the cause, and a ghost to be channeled. Even in a Jessup episode in which we learned a lot about the person, we learned little about his work. And then some um, speculation about LMs and SMs. LMs, Shadow Masters, um, or Light Masters, and SM Shadow Masters, A, B, and Jemmy, Alpha, Beta, Gamma. Um, Jemmy was also, those are, those are good good suppositions actually sam uh jemmy was also related to gemini as in um a and b could have been twins and gemini was like their shared ideas or something like that um yeah uh and and you know not a lot of talk about his work in a jessup episode yeah that was that was a conscious choice i made um just because i for better or for worse i saw this as the beginning of the Philadelphia experiment saga rather than the works of Morris K. Jessup. And at some point I'm probably going to return to some of his works because they are interesting. Um, and they don't get looked at really beyond the, uh, beyond the, the case for the UFO and the Vero edition stuff and the, the Alan Allende letters. Um, 
I really think it would be interested to, interesting to go through his UFOs in the Bible, for example. And I probably will do that at some point. Some emails now. Kyle emails in. Um, How big of an overlap do you suppose there is between people who use phrase like, phrases like shabby genteel and who would describe themselves as semi-literate? Yeah, um, shabby genteel is not a term I had really ever heard um, before working on this episode and hearing that um, that description. It, it just to me it sounds like a very um, a, a very sort of nineteen thirties or forties thing to say. I think down at heel is probably another one of those phrases that might mean kind of the same thing that I, I don't um, I don't really know that I've heard in a lot of places. Uh, Kyle also says, um, in your estimation, how much blame slash credit does Gray Barker deserve for the evolution of UFO culture and more broadly the culture and narrative of conspiracy and paranoia? Um, I think he shoulders a lot of the credit for it. And a proportional amount of blame for the bad stuff that has that has come out. Um, the he's not the first to sort of trade on the assertion of of, of to sort of trade on assertion as evidence. Um, everybody's saying that we've heard a lot about this. He's not the first to do that, but man, he he had more influence in the UFO field than I think many people. Uh, today realize and and finally from Kyle how do you keep from laughing out loud when someone with a, such a terrible spelling and grammar describes themselves as a dialectician yeah it, it it's it it gets difficult to um to sort of cope with the irony without just busting out laughing um I don't save outtakes because I I sort of edit as I go but there are times when I've just had to stop and just chuckle for a while at some of this also, in email, Brian says, The involvement of the Navy slash naval intelligence in the release of the Vero edition has always puzzled me. If it was truly only printed because of naval employees with personal interest in the subject with no connection to the work being done for the Navy, why allow any copies to reach the public? Or at the very least, why allow copies with printed traceable connections to naval intelligence via Vero to reach the public? Very much seems like a psyop to me, and I wonder if Allende wasn't coached somewhat in how to write the back-and-forth dialogue notes. We're going to be getting into a little bit of possible theories about motivations for some of this in the Carl Allen, Carlos Allende episode coming up. So just wanted to put out there that, that Brian had this thought and Gabriel McKee, who helped us out with um, some documents from the um, the, uh, the the Barker collection, um, he has his own thoughts about the uh, the Vero thing. He says to me, the strangest thing about the whole Philadelphia experiment story is why on earth the ONR would have seen the annotative book as worth investing time and resources in duplicating. The most plausible explanation I can come up with is not that they thought it, there was something to Ayende's rambling, but that some crackpot had sent them this marked up paperback and they thought it was funny. They copied it out so they could share it around the office and have a good chuckle, kind of like the Christmas publications Gray Barker sent to his friends. Of course, the one answer is ufology. The one answer ufology is least willing to accept is it was just a joke. So I don't expect this idea to catch on when it's got conspiracy theories to compete with. Oh, um, yeah, uh, I. I'm a big fan of the it was just a joke um, theory or something like that. But yeah, they they apparently used public money to do this. So it's it's very interesting. And like I said, we'll, we'll get into some theories about that on the next episode about Carl Allen, Carlos 
um, Carlos Allende. Um, I'm hoping that episode comes out the way I want it to. There's, I, I tracked down a copy of a book I'd been looking for, uh, and I'm there's there's parts of the episode I'm holding up on until I get this book. So we'll um, we'll see what happens. But uh, thanks very much for listening, and thanks for the feedback on this episode. And we'll see you next time for uh, Carl Allen slash Carlos Allende and more development of the Philadelphia Experiment story.